Welcome to episode 10 of the App Advice Weekly Podcast. I'm Brett Nolan of AppAct.net, and with me as always is Trevor Sheridan of App Advice. In this episode, I head down to Beantown to do some conning, then Trevor and I explore geometric lands, guide post-apocalyptic life forms, build vast kingdoms, and use the power of the wind. Hi Trevor, how are you doing tonight? Doing good. It sounds like a good episode of Geometric Lands and Bean Town and all that wrapped together somehow. <laughs> it's gonna yeah, be a so jam-packed was, episode. Yeah, it was a busy week for you, huh? Yeah, I had three days of PAX East and uh, all weekend long. Didn't get much sleep, but it was a, a lot of fun gaming, and then uh, all the new stuff too. So yep. lots, lots to play. And so before we jump into the games, we're going to talk about some Apple news and iPad rumors just because it's really accelerating to the point that it looks like either next week after we record or the first week of April, we're going to have an Apple event to unveil new iPads. And these iPads, the main kind of new edition will be a 10.5-inch iPad to replace the 9.7-inch and use the same 9.7-inch form factor, but with less bezels, to have a bigger screen packed into that same form factor. And then we'll have an updated iPad Pro 12.9-inch with the new processor that comes with the 10.5-inch. Yeah, I mean, so at least, like, I I guess certain cases won't still work, but uh, if you're in the market for an iPad, which at this point, it's a pretty saturated market. People tend to hold on to them for quite some time, but... It's nice to have that much extra little bit of room on the screen, and it's so it could be tempting enough for someone to pick up a new one, or maybe just have an, a, a child that's now graduating up to a, a full size iPad. I, I think this this is going to mark the end of the iPad Mini as well. I think that's pretty much going away at some point because the large phones kind of compete with that, the the large plus phones. So uh, we'll see where it goes, but. I guess it's a good thing. I, I don't know. I, I don't know how well this is going to sell. Well, I broke my iPad. I dropped a pair of scissors on the screen. The screen cracked, but luckily <laughs> it was recent enough that I was able to get some connection to have the ability to get the new iPad as soon as it comes out. So I'm anxiously awaiting one. I can't decide if I want the big 12.9 inch. I'll see how this 10.5 inch kind of is laid out. There's also the rumored integrated home button kind of within the screen itself like what they're going to proceed that's like a a preview of what they're going to try on the iphone 8 yeah i mean that would be cool to see how that looks if they do go that route uh, the 12.9 inch i've used that at like the people have used it to demo stuff at cons before and it is nice to use i'm just not sure i would want to carry that around all the time yeah i think it would have to be an ipad you're going to keep at the house it's not one you're going to bring with you Yes, yeah, yeah. And then there's also the potential for an Apple Pencil 2. So that means not only will you have a new pencil with hopefully improved features, but the original Apple Pencil will likely drop in price if you were hesitant in the first place. Yeah, my prediction is that original pencil is going down to 69 bucks. Okay, that would be we'll see, good. Or, se- or 70 bucks. We'll see. And then 
it's interesting because it's a spring event. And for the last six years, Apple has had an event in the spring. The most recent was 2016. That's when we got the first 9.7-inch iPad Pro. So it kind of fits in that timeline. But then, of course, there's the rumors that say the 10.5-inch might not launch for a month or two after this spring event. And that makes you wonder why not just hold them till WWDC. But I guess we'll find out over the next couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah, it's uh, at least we're finally have Apple news. <laughs> yeah, it's no been a while. How it goes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, so at least that's good. And so that's kind of the iPads to give you new canvases to play some of these upcoming games and currently released games. So I'll let you take the lead on PAX East. Okay, so PAX East, for those unfamiliar, like I saw a lot of iOS stuff there, but PAX East is kind of a different sort of show than like GDC is. So basically it's divided uh, into two big chunks within the hall. So there's a whole tabletop section, and then there's a whole video game section. And the video game section tends to be cannibalized by uh, PC and console titles, but there's still a good iOS showing there. Uh, but it tends to be, at least especially this year, it was a lot of stuff that was already released. So like they have a whole indie showcase where they highlight titles. That whole showcase was nothing but titles that were already readily available. Uh, so it was, it's kind of different. There's not as much like upcoming titles or at least the trend this year, which we kind of saw kind of inklings of last year is it, people are kind of going back to steam first and then maybe we'll bring it to iOS as well. But Steam tends to be the priority now because it makes more money than Apple unless you're featured. So it seems like there's that shift there. But there were still quite a bit of iOS to look at. And when Trevor covered GDC in our last episode, he included all sorts of genres and there were all kinds of stuff. But two of my favorite genres were kind of not as represented and because this show is um pax east is a really a, a big tabletop component there tends to be a lot more uh digital board games as well as adventure games because they tend to fall to that kind of crowd that like those those style of games so i'm gonna focus kind of my recap on those two genres in particular because i think there was a lot of good stuff at PAX East in that particular genre. So to start things off, I'm gonna there was the sequel in 2013, there was a a beautiful like animated point and click adventure game called The Inner World that came out. And it came out on on iOS first and then went to Steam. This time around they're going to Steam first, then iOS, but it's a sequel called The Inner World The Last Wind Monk. And it picks up Shortly after the events, I won't kind of recap what happened in the first one in case you haven't seen it or uh, played it, but it picks up kind of in the events shortly following the first one. And you basically take control of three different characters in this game. There's this uh, flute-nosed guy named Robert who's good-hearted and he loves to, to help people out. And then there's this little pigeon named Peck, and and a girl named Laura as well. And you're going around, and you're in this world of Esposia, and it's you're trying to uh, 
go through you go through all these adventures. It's your typical style of point and click adventure where you're picking up items, putting them together. But the puzzles in this game, it, it, you'll remember if you played the first one, they're really crafty and you really kind of have to think about it. They do have a whole hint system that kind of guides you along the way, but doesn't give things outright. So it's a really nice hit system that they use that kind of leads you but doesn't just outright give everything away. And this is a massive game. It's The original was, I think, around eight hours to play through. This one, they're looking at probably 10 hours. It's all voice, all done with uh, excellent voice acting, excellent uh, animations. And even this time around, the first, like these type of games tend to be large on your device. And they've gone to a whole new animation engine for this time around, and it's going to help not only reduce the file size, which can be tough on an iPad where you have limited space you can't uh, expand, but it's all, because those sizes will be smaller, it also means it's going to speed up load times when you're going from scene to scene. And so it should run snappy. And I I didn't get to see it on an iPad at the show, but it looked beautiful on a, on a PC that they were showing it. And you could see just how much nicer the interface is on an iPad with the amount of clicking and things you had to do to like combine items or use certain items on a PC where you can just quickly touch and drag things on a, a touch interface. And you just see how nice it is to use an iPad to play this style of game. And so would you say you could play this game without playing the original or is it kind of a true sequel? You definitely can play it without. It, you will. It does give you a little recap to kind of set the story. but And so that will obviously be a, a major spoiler as to how the first game ended. But you definitely do not need to have played the first one to jump right into this one and start playing. And they realize that. they. I mean, it's been so many years since the, the original one came out that either people might not necessarily remember all the details of the story or you'll have a new a new player that doesn't necessarily want to go back and play the original and just wants to jump right in on the new one. They give you like this beautiful little like animated scene to, to catch you up and tell you what happened. And it's from head up games, the makers of uh, the bridge constructor series, as well as Toby, the secret mine and shiny, the firefly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, these guys, it was, it was fun to sit down with these guys. He, he was like, I guess one of the neat things that came out of my conversation with them is they actually use paper prototypes when they're building the level. So they kind of have this little scene of, the, of what they want to do. And then they build the little items that you're going to have to pick up and drag and combine. And they put them out like on the scene to kind of see how it will feel to go and grab the thing and combine it so it's kind of it's kind of neat i never even thought that they would use paper to kind of prototype it all but it's uh i guess it kind of makes sense so that's the inner world and it's what's the full tagline uh the inner world the last wind monk and nice. that is it's going to be coming out in the summer sometime okay uh, and then next up is another adventure game, and this one was called Bear With Me, and it's from Extortium Games, and it's out on the PC right now. They have It's going to be an episodic game, and they have two episodes out on the PC. Uh, it's going to be coming, I think, in a few months uh, on iOS, and this is 
set up in like this noir style and you're this little girl named Amber and you kind of you're trying to find your lost brother and you have your favorite teddy bear. But your teddy bear is he kind of has this persona of like a gruff 30s style Humphrey Bogart, Sam Spade, private eye. And so you go into your little closet and that's his office and then you hire him and you you start working with him to go and explore this house and try to find your lost brother. And it's all done in like this beautiful, like grayscale to really set that noir mood and feel like a thirties PI film, but it's all done kind of tongue in cheek because he doesn't drink the bear doesn't drink, but he'll drink like carrot juice instead of alcohol. And so it's, there are, they did say there were a few things like some of the language may not necessarily be kid friendly, but overall the, the story itself should be kid friendly, but it's, uh, it's neat. It, It was a really neat story. And I loved how they, they set up this whole like, private eye style but with kids and a with a kid and a bear and it just it was really appealing and uh so we still have to wait for the ios release but it is out on steam right now and the way they're going to work it is you purchase that first episode you be able to try like the first chapter of the first episode for free and then unlock the whole chapter and then if you purchase a chapter you'll then be able to preview the next chapter before purchasing the next chapter so it there'll be ways you can try it out before you you plop down your money and purchase it i love any kind of mystery case style set up in that adventure format and then the film noir edition and then you have like a little teddy bear that reminds me of ted but then with the classic like 1930s detective like you said mixed in yeah, yeah, it's a it's a neat concept that these guys come up with. And I definitely think it'll appeal to a lot of people. Uh, so, and then just one last thing I should mention in the adventure series. I did see that Agent A, if you're a fan of that, uh, they are working on the fourth and fifth, which are the two last chapters of that. And they're going to be a much more expansive setup then the third chapter was kind of set up like the room where you kind of just triggered things and you kept on kind of changing out the single room. They're going to go back to what they did in chapters one and two and have a much more expansive universe. And you'll be able to go multiple rooms and multiple locations. And those should be action packed. They sound like they're going to be really good. I didn't get any spoilers. So, but look for more agent a, if you're a fan of that later in the year. Nice. Uh, Cause I definitely am. Yes, and my daughter loves it. She's played through that game like three or four times, even though she knows how to do the stuff. She's played through it over and over again, waiting for new chapters. Uh, And then as far as uh, digital board games go, one really nice release, uh, it's, it's not out yet, it's still coming, is from North Star Games. They're taking their 2014 board game Evolution and forming this fantastic digital version of the game. And if you're unfamiliar with Evolution, what it is is basically players over the course of seven rounds are competing to build out a species. So you start with a single species and then you're trying to evolve that species. So it's hardy and and can survive. And then you're also trying to increase the population 
and then you get points for feeding all of your various population of species and you get points for applying new traits to them. So like maybe you'll evolve your species so they have long necks. Well, now they can reach the food faster than the other species can. Or you evolve them so they have hard shells on their backs. So now they're protected from carnivores attacking. And so you start to uh, build up your species as you go and you do it all through card play. And then you're earning points for feeding your your various species. And then at the end of those seven rounds, whatever species happen to survive, you get points for the various population, the food, and and a few other items to see who the winner is. And Trevor, you got to see this at GDC. Yeah, I got to play a whole round with uh, one of the developers. Or a whole game, yeah. Yeah, I mean, and I had never played the physical board game before. You had never played it. There was a great tutorial that really kind of hops you right in and you gets you going. And it was super easy to understand once you started going. Yeah, because so there's that center of the screen. Like we were playing a demo with four people and you have that's where all the food bites are. And so you drag your species out to that. And that's if you have a herbivore to rely on that regular kind of green type of edible but you can transform your character into a carnivore if you pull the right card from the deck and then that means you can feast on your opponents and so that way you don't have to be concerned with the pot in the middle and then that pot in the middle you can dictate at the beginning of each round so you can throw in more if you need more for your population or if you transition to carnivore you can throw in nothing so that way there's fewer resources to go around and maybe your opponents might starve in addition to trying to feast on them. Right, yeah. Everyone at the beginning of the round secretly puts in a certain amount of food that they want to don donate to that common pot of food. So you could put in very little, but then maybe you have guys that are going to eat before the other ones. So you could put in very little, but then eat all the food, and then now any species you don't feed dies at the end of the round. So you could end up trying to wipe out your opponent's uh, species in order to uh, and just feed on all that food first. In order to eat as a carnivore, there's other traits you can upgrade on your on your individual species, which are their size. So you have to be bigger than the species you're trying to eat. So one of the things you can do is the cards by discarding them, you can. Uh, you can increase those stats on your device. You can increase its body size or you can increase the population of an individual species. So the cards have multiple uses. You either play them for what they are, you play them as food, or you play them as a trait, or you discard them to build up stats on your individual species. So there's a lot of thinking to it, and you can really dig into the strategy. But even for new players, you can really get a lot out of it just by diving right in and just kind of learning as you go. Yeah, like you said, there's a really accessible introduction, whether you're familiar with the digital or the physical board game at all. So it's a really good digital adaptation. And then each time you play, it feels different because you can change up your strategy to go carnivore or not. Or now you focus on, you know, your herbivore traits of the long neck or the hard shell. There's 17 different traits you can kind of experiment with and see what the best formula is. And then you have to react to the way the other players, you know, use their cards. 
Right, yeah, you never know if they're going to try to rip you off with the food, or if they upgrade, then now you're kind of forced to to evolve your characters so they don't get wiped out. So it's, yeah, it always is different, and, and you never know what the luck of the draw is going to be, too, for what you get for cards. So uh, de- this is definitely one to watch. I know this is going to be one that I'm going to be playing a lot of once it's finally out. Yep, that's Evolution. And then uh, just one other quick mention, because there was nothing you actually got to see, but uh, Handle Opera Games, who put out the digital release of Sentinels of the Multiverse, are going to be putting out Dice Hate Me Games' Bottom of the Ninth. They're doing a digital version of it. It's in the works right now. And Bottom of the Ninth is basically a baseball game where you're in the ninth inning, the score is tied, and basically one player is up at bat the other player is pitching and if you can score a run you win if you get three outs as the pitcher you get them out and then you win and so this bottom of the ninth app is going to be a a digital version of that but then it's going to allow and it, it to be expanded out into a full game of baseball rather than just that ninth inning and they'll be able to do more even more with the game by going digital so that's one to watch it's still in the works uh, the developers said they're in the fourth inning of development, so we still have some time until that's uh, going to be ready to go. Yep. Uh, and then as far as um, uh, Tim Fowers, I met with him, and he's the known for Paperback, which there's a digital version out, Blockstar and Burgle Bros., and he was quite a busy man. He has a lot of irons in the fire right now. With he He's just uh, launched filling out some kickstarters for physical board games he's mailing those out and he's about to launch a uh, a kickstarter for a prequel to paperback called hardback uh in a couple of weeks but he he did say i did ask him about the asynchronous play on paperback which is a super highly requested feature and that is almost here so if you're looking for online play with paperback that's almost here but he also did mention i didn't get to see any of it but he mentioned that he's working on a digital adaptation of his cooperative heist board game burgle bros and he's also working on a companion app for that which would allow you to use that app so you wouldn't lay out the board all ahead of time by placing out the four by four grids of tiles on each floor you would actually use that app and it would allow you to have different shaped rooms rather than just those square rooms and it would basically tell you which tile to pull out of the box as a room is revealed so if you go north it says oh this this type of room so pull this tile out and put that to the north of the current tile so you're building out your board based on what the app tells you to as you're playing so you you kind of it's more like you're exploring this unknown space and you're figuring it out as you go so i thought that was kind of neat a lot of these companion apps really help to add to the replay value and do things you couldn't necessarily do just with the physical board game so uh that's that's one to watch for if you're if you're a fan of burgle bros uh and then one other thing he was showed me that's a non-board game app that he's been working on for a couple of years and it's called it was called turning and i I, trevor you got to see this at gdc as well and you actually have a build so you've been playing it so did you want to do a, a quick description of of how it plays yeah so he showed it to me at gdc gave me a test flight build and honestly as i've been playing this game it feels like it could be the new type of threes where it has that minimalistic puzzle style that's super accessible 
And then as you get into it, you're like, okay, I can get better. I can try this. I can just keep bettering my score. And so it's set up where you're given these little, essentially like slingshots, and you have a five by five grid, and you send the slingshots to each of the. You know, so the slingshot is facing right when you place the tile, and then it shoots out a ball. And then once it shoots, it rotates 90 degrees. So now instead of shooting right, it's it's showing down. And then each piece works in the same way. So your goal is to clear off, to keep the board clear. As long as you have an empty space, you can place a new tile. Once the board fills up, you have no moves left, and it's game over. And so every single slingshot can fire a ball four times. So you want to keep directing your arrows so that you can create chain reactions where the balls just keep triggering, you know, that goes to this side and then it rotates down and then rotates back left and it creates this whole chain reaction. So you're using up those shots so you can keep the board clear. And then every single round, so the rounds are kind of like point plateaus, introduces a new piece. So you have a bomb that then triggers outwards four ways. Or you'll have... um, portal on the edge of the screen if a ball shoots out in a particular area or maybe it bounces off a mirrored piece and then these special pieces are introduced as the rounds go on and it's more and more to kind of contend with and deal with built on that core structure of focusing on figuring out just how these pieces are going to rotate so when you place a piece you can see how it will go and move through your sequence of slingshots based on that rotation of 90 degrees once you kind of wrap your mind around the movement of the pieces. Yeah, it, it takes a, a like a few rounds to understand the movement, but it, it's pretty it's basic. It, but then just understanding of how things are going to react with each other, you almost kind of have to plan ahead, and you know, like okay, that's going to fire, then it's going to turn. That means the ball is going to go over there, but then it'll come right back to the same one, and then it'll fire out. And so you really start to think about all these moves ahead of like five moves ahead that it's all going to chain react. And then the one really neat thing was like the bombs, they start to get more and more complex as you go. So the first time one shows up, you only have to fire into it once and it'll explode and shoot out balls in all four directions. Other times now you have to hit it like twice. And then the next time, maybe you have to hit it three times before it'll blow up. So thing, even within the individual components, they start to get more and more complex and build up the complexity of the game as a whole as you progress through. Yeah, and it's just like I said, it has kind of that threes nature where you will get the method of it and then you always feel like you can do better. It plays completely different and yet it still feels the same and it's kind of that one-handed gameplay of a puzzle that you can play in your spare time. Yep, yeah, yeah, it's... it definitely a really neat game that i think is going to do really well once once he finally gets it out onto the app store and it should be just a couple like he was planning end of march or early april depending on just working with apple and seeing if he can get featured yeah 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 and he has plans for it. it's going to be free and what you'll be able to do is um you'll have ads after every certain number of rounds and then there's these things you'll be able to buy these planning in packs and you can earn them by doing certain things in the game but they allow you to basically destroy one level of a piece so say you have one piece you've already shot through twice but you want to get rid of it, you can apply one of these things and it'll get rid of it completely to clear off that square. So you would use these only if you really got completely stuck. Like, say, 
you the only piece that pops up, you can switch between two pieces. But say both of your pieces shoot down and everything else and you only have a square open on the very bottom of the screen. Well, that's not going to hit anything. So as soon as you place a piece, you've filled up the tile and you're going to lose. So this thing would allow you to kind of break away something to open up opportunities to continue playing. And but otherwise, it will be a free to play game. Is at least that was his plan when yep. I talked to him. And that's turning. Uh, and then one last thing I just want to mention I'm not going to go into detail about it because it actually comes out this Wednesday is uh, a game called Ticket to Earth. And it is this awesome mashup of tactical strategy game and match three for both resource management and for movement around the board. And it's a really neat game, lots of depth, lots of skill trees. It's coming on Wednesday, so definitely keep your eye out for it, and we will likely discuss it on a future show. Yep, and that was pretty much PAX East. And so those games are coming soon. Now we're going to talk about games that are actually available. You can go to the App Store and get them yourself and play them. And it's interesting because it ties into this new campaign Apple has started where they've shifted the new releases. If you've followed the App Store, you realize that Wednesday night into Thursday is when Apple updates the App Store, and so developers time their releases around that. But now Apple, for the period from March 9th to March 20th, is celebrating indie game developers by highlighting ones from the past and then highlighting a new release every single day from the 9th to the 20th. So rather than just Thursday releases, we had a release on Friday, Saturday, Sunday, Monday. And so every day you can expect one new title to be Editor's Choice featured on the App Store. And that's pretty neat that Apple's been able to set this up with indie game developers. Yeah, and so far from what we've seen, they actually seem to be doing a good job of picking these these apps, which it tends to be kind of hit or miss with Apple, but I think they're doing a good job so far. The more they can move away from like a tie-in to Atari or EA or something like that and just, you know, focus on really quality, they have some good editor's choice picks. Yeah, yeah, I think the indie ones tend to be much better than when they have some property attached like a lot of those especially the ones they tend to feature seem to be there to make them money not because of the quality of the app yeah and so one of the highlighted games that we actually talked about on the gdc show it's already available for you to play (laughs) it's euclidean lands which we kind of gave you the precursor but i'll try to run over it again it combines the style of hitman go with the Rubik's Cube, so you can rotate the cube to create the path, and then you have to direct your character to defeat enemies and move across that surface of the cube. And it's really well implemented, so you can drag in the empty space around the cube to rotate the camera, and then you can drag the specific slices of the cube, just like you would move a Rubik's Cube, and then you just kind of get to see how the cube unfolds so you can get into the right way because if you rotate the cube and your character is in line with the attacking range of an enemy he'll just attack you as soon as you lock into place so you need to rotate it so you're not in the danger zone and then you can attack yourself enemies from the side so you will have to keep that into consideration and then the levels keep expanding so you have a bigger and bigger cube or it shifts into multiple cubes or you have boss battles and it just keeps building upon that core idea. 
Yeah, holy cow, some of these levels are confusing and crazy <laughs> difficult. And you are going to have to... I, I gave up on trying to get three ribbons on each yeah, one of these levels. the move count Be, thing, yeah. <laughs> yeah, there's no possible way. Like, some of them, you're going to backtrack, you're going to slide it, and then not let go because you're going to realize... Oh wait a minute! If I let go, he's about to drop right in front of that enemy. So then you got to backtrack and then figure it out, and you'll end up. But it is so so well done that, especially like certain level, like sometimes some of these guys will have shields. So you got to make sure. Well, you always have to make sure you're attacking from the side or from behind. Otherwise, you're going to be in their path to be attacked. But then in one of the levels, I think it was the first boss battle i was able to pick up a shield so now i can attack right from the front and not have to worry about it at all so i was able to just dive right in and attack them because i had this shield so uh, they do a really nice job of adding those elements like i just got to teleports so now i have to be careful where i walk so i don't accidentally walk over a teleport too early to go into a section that i don't that I can't get out of. So you then now have to do that much more planning to make sure you're going through the teleports in the right order because you can't go back through a teleport once you go through it. So it just really is doing a nice job of building and building and building and making it so that you want to progress forward. And some of these just look so impossible right when you see it on the screen and you just see enemies everywhere and you're like, how am I going to do this? And then you have this just sense of victory after you did figure it out and finally made your way through it. Yeah, this game is really just about figuring out the puzzles, not worrying about moves. And they just have done such a good job to actually like you said, make you want to proceed through all the levels because it keeps introducing new mechanics. And then once it's given to you, it then can build it upon the previous mechanics and then expand upon it. So you go from, you know, barely being able to shift around the cube to <laughs> moving three different cubes, teleporting between them, and all the while worrying about enemies that can move one or two spaces or even transport themselves. So you have all these different kind of mechanics to contend with and it's all beautifully presented the game is absolutely gorgeous in 3d and then you have that control scheme that allows you to shift a cube and then like you said not let it go so you can kind of preview your moves you know the cube moves directly under your finger so you can rotate it around or see how the block might shift but then go back to where you were so you don't lock in a move and can just see how everything would proceed without actually having to do the moves Right, yeah, you're going to be rotating things around in 360 degrees as well, so you can see, like, the back of the cube is, as well, because there'll be times where you're going to shift it, and you'll leave the guy in the back, you think you're okay, and then all of a sudden you hear, and he gets killed, and you got to start all over again. So, uh, And then there's, like, levels where you move once, and it shifts the cube on you, and that is just like, where is it going to go? I don't know where it's going to go. It better not shift me into danger. And so, yeah, it's so well done. Yep, it's called Euclidean Land. It's two ninety nine. It's universal, and it's one of those features that Apple started. It came out on Sunday, and it's a definitely nice inclusion. And that two ninety nine is a special forty percent off launch price. I don't know when it's going to go up, but just so you know, grab it while it's cheap. And then there's Mushroom Eleven, which is a pretty surprise release. It went into the normal release schedule, but the developer doesn't have any other games on the App Store. This is their first effort. And it's really 
not that easy to compare to anything else. It has a core idea where you're proceeding through a chapter-based kind of adventure. But to do so, you have this creature. It's essentially like an organism in a post-apocalyptic world that you drag your finger on the screen and that destroys elements or particles of the creature and it grows those particles on the front end. So you're essentially destroying the back so it can grow on the front and you'd use this as the movement mechanism to crawl over, through, and around all these different elements that you'll come across. And so you're constantly dragging your finger on the screen. This is a game that's designed for like a big screen iPad because you're going to have your finger constantly moving and then the game highlights your essentially delete ability with this sparkly white ring and that it's so it's really wide over your finger so you can constantly see it and that makes it easy to essentially you're just like getting your finger and trying to push this green mass as far and however you can to proceed forward yeah, you're kind of like nudging. It's almost like you're moving liquid, but it's sort of partially solid. And so you can kind of it, almost think about it like you're moving like Play-Doh or something. And it kind of like squishes and you get it to go tall. And so you can reach these little items you need to reach high. Or maybe you need to trigger a little switch to unlock another area. And so it's like you're moving liquid, but not completely because it has that whole awesome uh aspect to it of where you can erase the back and now say you're kind of making it over a ledge if you quickly erase the back of him now he'll shoot forward enough that maybe he'll land on the other side of the ledge and then if you quickly erase the part that's over the hole he's not going to fall into the hole because now he's going to grow out the front even more so it, it does take a, a few minutes of just experimenting to kind of understand the physics of this weird organism. But then once you figure it out, it is just a really cool setup because you'll send them down tunnels. You'll There's even boss battles in this game. That was cra Like, I thought I was just going to be exploring and, and going, collecting things. And all of a sudden, I happen upon this boss battle. I had no idea there was going to be boss battles. And then now you got to use it in almost like a, a fighting and you got to be much more precise with your movements because you have to hit certain targets on the boss to take them out. And then you got to avoid his fire. So it is a really neat and interesting game that's unlike anything I've played. Yeah, they really created a fresh idea and they implemented it so well for touch. Like, this is a game built from the ground up for touch, where I guess you could use your mouse pointer, but there's such a nice tactical idea where it's like you're on your desk and you have something that you're just nudging across, like you said, with your finger. You're just pushing it across. Like if you had water spilled on a flat desk and you just got your finger and kind of tried to move that water around the table, you could direct it. And this does it where if you lift your finger, it becomes like a solid piece. So it will just sit there as long as there's a surface to sit on. And then once you start your finger again, it goes with the deleting and growing out. You can even split it in two. So maybe you'll have a piece up on a switch, but you got to move the rest of it to where the switch opened the door. But you can't delete too much because then it will be completely gone off the switch. So you have to kind of balance it to get it through the door while still keeping enough in the other area. And then 
as long so the organism no matter what you do you can't delete it completely there always will be one piece left so you don't have to worry about that it's all the other obstacles that come into play as you're going against the boss or you're going over lava fields and you advance into the greater so the kind of chapter one introduces you to the mechanic and then once you're familiar with it it then can really become nice and challenging of the core element of exploration through water and all kinds of different areas and now one of the things it mentioned in the app store description i'm playing on an ipad so i don't have force touch it does say that it's a a more immersive experience with force touch you have an iphone 7 right yeah i didn't play the game on iphone 7 though I oh, you didn't. Have. Oh, okay. Because <laughs> it says there's something about the force touch that makes it. Uh, it says fully immersive 3D force. Oh, that determines your eraser size. There is yeah, like so you the... can switch the size of the eraser to be a little more precise if you just want to be shaving off smaller portions of it. So you can do that on the iPad. It, I mean, I really didn't need to change the size at all. It was pretty good the way it was. Yeah. So essentially, if you touched harder, essentially you'd be erasing it quicker. You'd have a bigger kind of eraser brush or you could do like a really precise type of idea. That's pretty okay. neat. I'll have to try it on iPhone 7. Yeah. Well, one thing you can do even on the iPad without force touch is you can get him motoring super quickly. If you just constantly drive the thing into the back of him and constantly erasing what's in the very back of him, you can really get him motoring forward and flying through levels and you'll need to do in certain areas to get them over danger spots and it's surprising just the the range of movement and the the physics they are able to create for the game it's really crazy how when you first start playing you're like okay this is going to be like a slow methodical kind of idea but (laughs) then as you're going through it you can really you could do the boss battles and jam through over gaps and all kinds of crazy stuff through this mechanic. It's crazy. Yeah, <laughs> I I am so impressed with this game. Like I had, it just came out of nowhere, and I I saw it featured. And I'm like, I gotta try this. And then, holy cow, it was an impressive game. Yep, it's Mushroom Eleven. It's four ninety nine, and it's universal. And then there's Float, which is a more methodical kind of relaxing experience but that doesn't mean it doesn't have its own challenge you have this little flower and it's on like a river and you simply tap behind the flower to push it forward so it's a bit like mushroom 11 but not as constant dragging and erasing it's more tap watch it shoot forward and tap again and then as you go you want to avoid rocks and floating logs and various items and you can tap behind it to push it forward and then you can also tap at angles to change diagonals you can also tap in front to kind of come to a complete stop if you're about to hit into something you can tap in front and stop it so you need to focus on that tap like essentially you're tapping in the water to create that you know ripple effect and that ripple effect is what's going to push the flower in whatever direction you choose so you need to figure out the proper balance and force of how close you kind of tap to the flower and speed you want to get through certain obstacle ridden areas right yeah the closer you're tapping to it the more of the effect it's going to feel that ripple so he's going to fly forward 
uh, if you're tapping super close to it. Otherwise, you you see the ring of how like the your effect when you're tapping the screen. So if you really just want to nudge the flower forward just a tiny bit, like maybe you think it's going to hit something, so you're just kind of nudging out of the way. You you go back from the flower and just kind of work your way up until it just gives just the amount that you want to tap it forward. But then you'll end up in these spots where you have these currents, and they just start Start dragging the flower in some direction, usually towards some rocks. So then you have to like bump it on. You got to go all the way to the far end of the current, tap them onto the current, then be ready to shoot it off of the current. But you don't want to hit it too hard because maybe you'll push it into some other rocks. So you really are always having to look forward and see what's coming up and then plan your force and how much you're going to tap and just kind of slowly guide this thing from checkpoint to checkpoint. And there keeps on increasing the number of checkpoints you have to reach to complete the level. But it is kind of, even though there are some areas where it is kind of intense because you have to do quick things, it is kind of almost a Zen-like experience as you're slowly guiding this flower down a lazy river and just the various things that come in your way are going to be what kind of breaks up that, that Zen. Yeah, you have to be patient, but at the same time, there are some quick action sequences to contend with, and that checkpoint system, it helps a lot, because if say the, same, the level is the same exact length, and you're almost at the end, and you lose, and you go all the way back to the beginning, it takes you out of the kind of that relaxing, calming state that the game establishes. When you lose, and you just go back a little bit to that checkpoint, it makes the whole flow like you're constantly moving forward. It gives you that incentive to make it to that next sequence because it's not that much further. And then it's not as depressing to backtrack because you're not going as far. Yeah, I think this would be one of those, especially where they keep on increasing the length of the levels. I think it would get really frustrating if you were to like the four out of five on one of the later levels and then all of a sudden you die and you have to start all the way from the beginning again. I, I mean, there's a place for those type of games, but I, I'm glad they went with the, the checkpoint system just like you are, uh, just because it does have that slower feel to it, the more zen feel to it. And I, I think the, the checkpoints are really appreciated, at least definitely by me. Yeah, it seems like it's a more fluid puzzle experience than it is like a like a platformer adventure game you still have to like think and plan out your moves but there's still kind of quick action sequences like cut the rope so you kind of have to balance that way like you said with those waterfalls or those quick moving currents you need to push it off of that quick but that's going to give it some momentum hurtling forward so you can either try to angle it the best you possibly can or be ready to touch it in front of the flower once it gets through the current to slow it down and stop it from hitting anything in front Yes, yep. And so that's Float. It's $1.99, and it's universal. And then to round out the new releases, there's Kingdom New Lands. And this game I got to see at GDC 2016, so over a year later it's actually available. And it's a game, it's kind of like a resource management, but it's also like a survival adventure, like that kind of don't starve or crash lands idea but applied into controlling this kingdom. So you're a king riding on a horse with a fledgling kingdom, and it's built around the idea that you go around collecting coins, 
and then you use those coins to build up your kingdom. So if you drop one coin down by these couple like homeless guys with like a little fire, they'll come into your kingdom. Or you can use those coins to build up your wall on the outside of your kingdoms. Or you can build up the center of the town. Or you can turn the people that you recruited into archers or construction workers. So you need to keep kind of building your system. But it all comes down to those coins. So that means your king isn't going to be sitting on a throne. You need to go out and explore. And you're on horseback. And it's a 2D side-scrolling map. So you can start going right as far as you can. And finding treasure chests or uncovering new type of weird like structures that you could unlock to be part of your kingdom. Or you'll have trees. You can find deer that you can send back towards your kingdom. And then your archers might take them out for some coins. You can have trees chopped down. And you'll just keep kind of exploring as far as you can right. Then you'll come back and check on your kingdom, how it's doing. Then you'll start going left. And then you'll encounter enemies that try to steal your coins. So you want to make sure that you're not too far from your kingdom base where your archers are that can take them out. And then you also have to balance your horse. So you can't just run full blast 100% of the time. Your horse is going to get tired. And if you're on that tired stretch when the enemies come, that means you're only going to be walking back and those enemies are going to take all your coins. And if you do get to the point where you have no coins left and you're still being attacked by enemies, then it's game over. So you have to survive and balance your building of your kingdom. So you always have coins, but you want to upgrade your defenses and your kingdom and always constantly exploring because these little structures, these strange structures that you find is how you're going to expand the map to explore new areas. Like... In the first kind of section of the game, when you go as far left as you can, you'll run into a portal. You can't go through the portal. It's going to require you to find various kind of pieces and upgrade those pieces to unlock that path. And the other way, you go to this dock, and then now you're into the ocean. But you have to go and find other pieces to create a boat, so then you can go exploring further. So you have that constant exploration and upgrade while the resource management setup. Yeah, this one looks really cool. I haven't had a chance to try this out yet. Now, I'm curious, is it you just try to survive as long as you can, and then once you die, then you start all the way over? Or is there some sort of like a, a anything that carries over from attempt to attempt as you, you try to progress? It's just kind of a survive as long as you can, where it's okay. like day seven. You know, and then if you die, you go back, your kingdom's reset to zero, and it's a new day, but you're in a new map. It's not the same things to explore uh, to the left okay. and right. So it's kind of okay. like procedurally so generated. Yeah. Okay, okay, that's good. I was wondering about, re like, if you get really far and then you lose, there is that drive to get further, yeah. but you get too far, then are you just, like, so depressed that you were doing so well that you give up? It's more about the constantly changing map because they have a lot of hidden areas to explore. Like I said, you find that boat, but it's not obvious that you can form it into a fully functioning boat that you can set sail with. I mean, it's essentially a piece of wood to start out with, and it's going to take discovering, then investing resources into. But the more you do that, the less you can contribute to the defenses of your kingdom or building up the actual town hall or the main city center. And then it's all presented with that really finely detailed pixel art creation. Yeah, yeah, I like the art on it. And so that's Kingdom New Lands. It's 9.99. 
and it's universal. It's a PC title. They originally designed it to be a Steam release. It's still coming to PC and consoles, but they started with iOS, and they're going to maintain the pricing like they would on their other platforms. They're not going to change the pricing for the platform. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they, they, they the only other thing they released on iOS was uh, a point-and-click adventure, and that was, I think, they have that at 5 bucks. So, um, yeah. No, yep. it looks good. It really is an interesting kind of exploration idea. The more you like a game like Don't Starve, the more you're going to like this idea because they take that, but it feels completely different because you're building up a kingdom and you really have that 2D side scrolling rather than that top-down map exploration, so it really changes the feel. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I, this looks really neat. And I think that's everything for episode 10. Like we said earlier, there's going to be releases throughout the week, so it doesn't really match up with our typical podcast flow, but that gives us more stuff to already start talking about <laughs> for our next podcast. Oh, yeah. It's going to be a lot of new games, so we'll see. <laughs> and that's episode 10 of the App Advice Weekly Podcast. Brett, thanks again for joining me. Oh, uh, yeah. It's always a pleasure. It was a good cap of recap of everything to everyone listening we hope you enjoyed and we'll talk to you next time talk to you later